Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Soho Theatre. <laughs> Are you ready for the first Guilty Feminist Town Hall? Yeah. Then please welcome to the stage your hostess, Deborah Francis White. Yeah. Hello, 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 Soho Theatre. Thank you so much for coming out. It's only January 4th, but already we are here to smash the patriarchy. Yeah. That's right. I have worn my smash the patriarchy sleeves. Yeah. As you can see, we're, are we, I mean, did you all have a good Christmas or holidays of any sort? Yeah. Did you all have a lovely get New Year's Eve? Yeah. Great. What I'm looking for is for you to have a guilty New Year's Eve and a feminist 2023. <laughs> so have you enjoyed your guilt? Good. It's gone. Uh, it's time for action. Uh, so uh, we've decided to do these town halls partly because a couple of times, well, you know, you know what? I chat to people in the audience and do some crowd work. I have discovered that we have the most interesting people in our audiences. And uh, it, it got to the point where I realised that every single person in my audience either has a job that is directly feminist or in some way works with social services or literacy or is doing a PhD on Virginia Woolf. <laughs> Just give us a cheer if you're doing a PhD on Virginia Woolf. Yes, there's always someone. That's, it's, 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 never, it's never not worked. Uh, what's your PhD on? 
Yeah, it's yeah. And are you doing some kind of dissertation? Yeah. It's not you. This is how feminism falls apart. Um, it's not me. It's not me. It's not my responsibility to explain. Anyway, look. Here's the thing. Um, you are all very interesting people and you've all got, no matter what you do for a living, we're not all defined by what we do for a living. Um, many of us are defined by many, many, many other things. Um, we have a really interesting and exciting audience. And a couple of times, for whatever reason, a guest hasn't been able to show up. And so I've gone out and done a bit of crowd work where I've gone, oh, what do you do? What do you do? Has anyone got a feminist job? And then I've just chosen one of those people to come up and be the guest, which has obviously ruined their night. But... <laughs> I found the most interesting people, someone in San Francisco whose job was to find people who'd been trafficked and get them safely out of the places where they were being held at the right time so that the operation also didn't go underground and other people didn't get hurt. Um, we had a brilliant A-level, A-level feminism teacher who taught us, this is what you'd learn if you were at A-levels and it was amazing what we didn't know. Um, so... <laughs> I've found so many interesting people uh, in my travels and I just thought, look, this is the Guilty Feminist audience. I often think if we just locked the doors for 48 hours, we could solve a good 25% of the world's problems. Um, so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're doing... Uh, 48 hours, we're locking, locking, yeah. Locking. Some of you have jobs, but those jobs are not as important as what, about what, what we're about to do here. Um, I just want to take my glasses one second. So, um, what, what do you do? design app so you might be able to design us an app if we need if we came up with a feminist app interesting information what's your name george, george. and what do you do uh, i make uh, short film stuff like music videos and commercials you make short films so you might be able to make us a short film about fem <laughs> about our issue tonight you too see do you see what i'm saying this is the resources that we have oh have you are you offering me a something to i thought i'm not sure if you're passing me a love note or something to wipe my glasses with hopefully it's both you know it is <laughs> Okay, um, all right, okay. Uh, so I'm going to do a little bit of sort of what I would call diet stand-up, stand-up light. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so I've got something to kick the podcast off with. Um, I should say this, this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, no hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Actually, maybe you should do the undermine them bit. I forget, if I point the, the, the thing at you, you will, okay. Uh, it's just like being the Beatles. Hey, Jude. Undermine them. Um, and our hypocrisies and insecurities, which? Undermine them. Thank you very much. Um, so my idea for town halls came out of a desire to try to solve problems because I think it's really easy to be like, hey, government, you haven't fixed this problem. You suck. Uh, in the case of the Tories, that's actually fair. Um, because they've been in power... They've been in power in the United Kingdom since Sex and the City 2 was released at the cinema. Si yes, since the year Downton Abbey was on television for the first time. And the year Don't Stop Believing by Journey was in the charts because Glee had made a hit single again. From its first season! Now, I'm not blaming any of the people who made these works of art, art for the situation we're in, but I'm also saying that just before the fall of Rome, those same works were also released by the same artists and creators. <laughs> and the Romans did stop believing, so you do the Roman maths. My main point is, Downton Abbey being new and Sex of the City being newly bad feels like a long time ago. 
I'm a feminist, but I'm as saddened by the demise of Sex and the City as I am by the fact that I have not read half of what Virginia Woolf wrote because I was re-watching Sex and the City. <laughs> the point is, it was actually 13 years ago this year that the Conservatives came to power. So that feels like a lucky number for us, doesn't it? 13, we can turn this puppy around. Lucky 13 for the win. Um, and, you know, Tories now, the Tories now are constantly saying, oh, you've got to vote us back in because we can fix all of these problems. All of these problems that they have clearly made. Everyone who works for the NHS says 2008 was the year that the NHS was actually great. And they took over in 2010. Um, and you, they, you know, they said, oh, well, it takes time, it takes time. Can I just take you back to the year 2010? That was the year that Cheryl Cole released not one, but two albums <laughs> full of songs including Fight for This Love, which was actually good. She also, in that same year, brought out a book called Through My Eyes and a line of festival eyelashes. Now, I say make her PM. Now, I, I, she gets shit done, though. She does get stuff done. In a, in a, you know, uh, listen, I, I'm not sure what her politics are exactly at the moment, but I'm just saying, and you may say she delegated some of that, and that's highly possible that she didn't make the festival lashes herself, that she just looked at them and went, yeah, they're nice, put my name on them. But that's what being a prime minister is, delegation. Um, so here's the thing. Sometimes on my show, I offer the guest the feminist magic wand. Have you ever heard me do this, where I say, if I gave you the feminist magic wand, what would you do? Um, if you were the feminist fairy godmother, what would you do? I feel like the OG fairy godmother wasn't a feminist because our opening question was, is that what you're wearing? <laughs> and she wanted Cinderella home by midnight. Why? Um, best way to catch a husband, turn up in something you can't afford and then disappear and make him find you. It was like the rules for prospective princesses. Um, but I do believe in the feminist magic wand and the feminist godmother idea um, it's, it's a sort of the same rules. What she doesn't do with the magic wand... I mean, to be fair, it's very gendered storytelling. I always talk about this when I talk about storytelling, that um, with uh, Luke Skywalker, his uh, fairy godmother is, in fact, Yoda. But what does he get? He gets to learn how to use the lightsaber, whereas Cinderella gets a makeover. Um, it's very gendered storytelling. But the basic rules are the same. What the fairy godmother doesn't do is use the magic wand to make the prince fall in love with her. So it's not a magical thing, really. It's like, look, these are the practical things I can do to make him fall in love with you. Um, it's, I feel like we should be talking more about smashing the patriarchy and less about princes falling in love with us. But here's the thing. That's what I want to do tonight. I want to ask, if we had the magic wand, what would we do? Because I hate this government more than I've hated almost anything else ever in my life. Uh, but I've thought long and hard about what I'd do differently on this particular topic, which is violence on the street against women. And I know that women are most likely to be the victim of survivors of violence from someone they know, most likely their intimate partner, most likely in their own home. Uh, but tonight we have one short show, and so we're going to look at violence on the street, everything from intimidating behaviour to assault to homicide. And we won't be dwelling on... We're not looking at, you know, graphic uh, explanations of anything or deconstructions of anything. If anyone is feeling like, oh, God, I didn't know it was going to be this, I just thought it was a regular guilty feminist and feels triggered and wants to leave and wants their money back, please absolutely feel free to do that and I will buy you drinks in the bar, uh, which you can drink instead. 
which is absolutely fine. Uh, but we're not talking about violence so much as we're talking about what can we do about it. Uh, since the horrendous death of Sarah Everard, this has been a topic we've heard a lot of opinions about. Um, Priti Patel, who was Home Secretary at the time... Panto season's over, come on now. Um, <laughs> she said, oh, I'm going to do loads of stuff about this. And I went to the... To, the first thing I did is went to the government website. To be, to be fair, you know, they might be doing something about it that I don't know. And there's a big statement from Priti Patel where she says... I am going to solve this problem about violence on the streets against women. And, and then I'm looking like, okay, how? What are you going to do? And she's like, I'm going to... S- less violence against women in the streets. F- uh, t- no more violence. And I'm like, but how are you going to do that? And she's like, just by stopping it. And that didn't feel as comforting as I think she thought it would. Um, so I had a look further... And one thing I found that was very interesting was ourwatch.org.au. Now, Ourwatch, O-U-R-W-A-T-C-H, is Australia's national research organisation for women's safety and health. Um, And they've got something called Change the Story, which they started in 2015, five years into our Conservative government. A shared framework for the primary prevention of violence against women and their children in Australia. And it's really, really interesting because they've started with why? Why does this happen? And what they discovered, and they've really found evidence for this, um, is that um, uh, inflexible beliefs about gender roles are the most consistent predictor of attitudes and behaviours that lead to violence against women. And they also result in gendered patterns of violence. So they deconstruct all of those, they say, like things like the pay gap contribute to violence against women. Actions in dating, expectations, gendered expectations in dating, that contributes to violence against women. And that was really, really interesting because they could break down why it was happening. And then they had actions, like, for example, they have a whole campaign called Doing Nothing Does Harm, which is a bystander campaign, which addresses all four drivers of violence against women in Australia. Um, And it looks at how we can create bystanders who actually act and especially male bystanders that actually act that's really interesting we'll put this in the show notes but if you want to look at it tonight it's ourwatch.org.au forward slash change the story and then i looked at the un website um un women and it looked at various factors but one i thought was interesting was solidarity with other organizations apparently things get better when violence against women and girls, because it is inherently connected to other forms of harm and injustice, including racism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, ableism, poverty and climate change, when we work together, apparently we get better results, which is something that I didn't know. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but at the same time, that is, I think we have become very fragmented and we're all got, but what about my thing? But what about my thing? And I think the answer to what about is, but what about all of our things? And what about getting in the boat and rowing together? But then who's going to be the cocks, if you using this analogy, <laughs> with an X, with an X? Who's going to be the one call? Who, how are we going to work together? That interests me. I mean, of course we should work together, but that's easy to say. But how do we actually do that? Um, so tonight, I'm going to start with um, a small panel of people on the stage. Then I've got um, another guest we're going to ask to speak just to kick it off and get the ball rolling with some people who've been thinking it through. And then we're going to throw it to you 
to, to see if we can come up with some ideas and suggestions. It's not like I'm expecting a text any moment now from Rishi Sunak saying, oh, good, are the results in? Can I, can I enact all of the things you've come up with? But I think unless we start conversations and unless we come up with ideas, then it's never going to change. So I think we, this is where we need to start with just talking about it. And maybe we'll come up with an idea that will inspire someone in this room to act. Maybe we'll come up with something that could be policy that we can take into... I mean, this is government, lol. But, you know, you, you, you don't know. And maybe there'll be another government soon. Please, God. Um, and maybe that government will be useful. But at least a government that we could take ideas to. Um, Are you up for the town hall? Now, we're hoping to do... We're hoping this is the start of something big with the town halls. Um, So we we hope to do them, you know, across the year on different topics. So we'd love to hear your ideas for different topics. Um, If you're an expert on anything and you think you, you would be the right person to be on a panel, you can put your ideas forward. Tonight, if you want to speak, and you don't have to speak, of course you don't have to speak, you can tell the person next to you, you should say this, go and speak... Um, that's the mic you'll come and speak at. Okay, are we ready for the town hall? All right. Live from Soho Theatre in London, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, presenting our very first town hall with special guests, Lauren Levine, Tamsin Lent, Mandu Reed, and Jamie Klingler talking about women's safety in public. Our first guest today became the first person of colour in British history to lead a national political party when she took the helm at the Women's Equality Party. In the same year, she was recognised by Apolitical as one of the top 100 most influential people in global gender policy. Please welcome to the stage, Mando Reid! There you are. Hello. Hi. She is joined by two of the brains behind Where You At, which uses indoor mapping and offline Bluetooth positioning to allow users to precisely locate and contact friends in spaces without connection. Initially launched to target women's safety and sexual assault at night, the app is a tool that brings together social and safety to make nightlife spaces navigable. Please welcome to the stage Lauren Levine and Tamsin Lent. Hey, come, come, come. So, hello, Lauren. Um, hello, Tamsin. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, interestingly, this first town hall topic came up because I'd wanted to do town halls, but this first topic arose, Mandu, because Lauren and Tamsin got in touch and said, look, we've got this idea for this app that connects people even when the Wi-Fi is off. And my immediate response to you was, if we feature that on the podcast, immediately people will say, women shouldn't have to have special apps. Women shouldn't have to carry whistles and mace. And it's not our job to defend ourselves against men. It's not our job to be home by a certain time. It's not our job to not wear this or that. It's not our job. And your response was really interesting to me. So do you mind just talking about how what you said when I said that? Yeah, so I think there's two points. And one is that there's a difference between what's right in a perfect world and what's right in the sense it's a world that's better than one we're in now. And I think both of us agree that we'd love where you actually just be something that's, you know, you, you used to find your friends when you've gone to the loo and you can't find anyone in a club. Because I find it at festivals 
my problem with music festivals basically is I spend the whole time walking up a hill in the rain to find people who are definitely at the gin and tonic station. They're not. They're not fucking at the gin and tonic station because we're all going to see the killers together. We're not. The killers are already over by now because I've been... Because I don't have any signal anymore and I can't find them. They're like, oh, no, it was the other gin and tonic station. It was really big. You couldn't miss it. I did miss it, so I could miss it. That's a lie. Um, I love music festivals. Um, I really, I really don't. So I think it's it's highly practical app. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I think the app is fantastic. But the safety edge to it, uh, when I talked to you about it, you said you were philosophy students as well as app creators, which I thought that's very typical of Guilty Feminist listeners. They've always something interesting or do something interesting or having interesting thoughts. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the philosophy behind this? So, yeah, so I think, again, like we, it would be great if BioAct could be the app that you use to find, go and have a wee. And in a perfect world, it wouldn't exist, but nor would charities in a perfect world because you wouldn't need them. But in a world that's better than the one we are in now, you'd have the app and you'd have charities. And I think the thing with where you're at, or the idea behind where you're at, and what I really love about it, is it's it's not a relative intervention. And by relative intervention, it's not something that you do to stop you getting raped, but so the other girl will. You know, when we talk about stuff like, you know, make sure you don't wear a short skirt or don't do that, what we're really saying is let the other girl get raped, which is wrong. (laughs) Whereas I think what where you at does and what's so powerful about it is that hopefully it just brings the numbers down and it just stops women getting assaulted because you're saying that you can find each other so it connects you to somebody else yeah so i mean how that works is it just shows you a map of the festival the the nightclub it shows you where the toilets are you know very like hyper precise um and it allows you to locate people within that venue so see if someone's by the toilet and because it works without signal, it means that if you, you know, do need help urgently, you can click SOS and people can come and help you out. We're in trials at the moment. And would they know where you were yes. through, what, through, if you have your Bluetooth on, even if there's no internet? Yeah. So we and they of, can see you've got an SOS and they can see where you are. They can see that you're like by the toilet or by the bar or by the smoking area. And as Lauren said, like ideally that's, you know, that's the extent of it. It's it's a kind of fun practical app so that if you're having a wee or you know smoking a cigarette people can know that you know you're in that specific location um but of course um i mean for me i i actually had the idea first i was like you know what why don't why don't like why can't i see where everyone is inside a nightclub um and then sort of after kind of developing the prototype for it i was i was spiked and assaulted um and Although, like, obviously, the kind of you know nature of what the app was trying to achieve is 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 quite triggering for me. It's like I think this is a practical solution um, that can you know at least do something uh, to help people to feel a bit more uh, secure on nights out. It shouldn't ex- have to exist. I think it's sad that it you know that we're in a world that it's not just a practical app that it has that safety edge. So. You're thinking of this as a sort of short-term solution to making women feel, A, just more connected and, you know, hopefully nothing terrible happens. But if something terrible does happen, it's something that if on the night that you were spiked, do you think you would have been able to use it? Yeah, so, I mean, I I had to actually look at, like, CCTV footage of me the following day because I, I had a full police investigation and I the saw CCTV my... was still there, was it? Yeah. Because it happened to my friend and the police dallied for so long, the police, the CCTV got wiped. It was weeks later. 
I mean, I saw myself on CCTV on my phone trying to use it, trying to text people. I called my dad at 4 a.m. But I think for me, um, it just showed that I clearly did have some capacity to use my phone. So, you know, there could have been something I could have done to at least, you know, get in touch with my friends and let them know that I you needed help. Reception. Well, um, I'm, firstly, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And secondly, I think... Um, that this being designed by women, especially a woman who's had experience of this and that it has a broader application. It's not like nail polish where you can tell if your drink's been spiked, but it has that broader application of connection. But it does have that short-term safety. While we're trying to look at this from a short-term, medium-term and long-term perspective, there's something in it that might make us feel safer. Mandu, how do you feel about this? You know what? I think that... There's merit and there's value in having extra tools at our disposal to help us in those immediate times of catastrophic crisis. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And you know what? It isn't just about you, Tamsin, being able to use the app. Your friends would have been able to use it to perhaps locate you when you were separated from each other. It's important to build in safeguards so the app can't be used for malevolent purposes. What you don't want is gangs of abusers being able to use the app in a way that actually contradicts the whole purpose and intention behind it. But I think we've got to be really clear, and, and, and you've paved the way for this, Deborah, in what you said by talking about short, medium, and long term. If our political... Uh, approach to this issue and our national conversation about this issue focuses only on safety we're kind of you know shortchanging ourselves we're shortchanging the next generation of girls we're not tackling this problem in the way that it needs to be tackled we need to be asking ourselves what kind of a society do we actually want and we've got to think about the concept of safety but actually and you two are philosophers this will make sense to you um, think about freedom what would it, the world be like where women were free and actually not in a position where we need more and more tools at our disposal to protect ourselves? You know, all the campaigners who stood up bravely to um, challenge, for example, slavery in the Deep South. Imagine if, if their program was, well, you know what? There are black people toiling away in the fields and all we really need is better health and safety regulations and measures to kind of improve their conditions. No, We've got to be thinking bigger. We've got to be more ambitious. We've got to be uh, having an approach that doesn't accept the premise that this violence is normal, acceptable, and actually our job is to put up with it. So in the meantime, tools. But over the medium and longer term, I don't want the conversation to be about tools. So if I give you... The magic wand. The wand, okay. The magic wand. Okay. And to be fair, backstage when I said to Mando, I'm going to give you a magic wand, she said, does the feminist magic wand vibrate? I said... I did say that. I said... I think that's a legitimate question, Deborah. I mean, it does if you wanted to, because it's your magic wand, Mando. Mine vibrates. But it's interesting to know that when the Women's Equality Party is in power, <laughs> we're all going to have vibrating wands. You should run on that, my friend. You should run on that. Done deal, done deal. So if I give you the magic wand, you can't just go, ooh, the patriarchy's smashed. But if you were PM, True. you know, for six weeks, as is now the way that people are PM. <laughs> I got six weeks, okay. Six to eight weeks, that's a, that's a realistic term now, I think we, anyone can expect and would be thrilled to have it. What would you be putting in place, Mandu, during that time that would 
address this problem? Sure. Well, I'm going to, I'm actually going to use my wand um, to... Uh, On stage. <laughs> I'm going to use it to deliver two things. Because there are, there are a shed load of things that need to be um, implemented. But for the more short, immediate medium-term type of approach, um, we've got to focus on our institutions and make it reputationally expensive for men to behave, act, talk in misogynistic ways. You know, at the moment, never mind reputational expense, it's actually, in a lot of circumstances, reputationally profitable for men to talk, act, and behave in ways that create the conditions for the kind of abuse that Tamsin experienced, for the kind of abuse that takes place on the street day in, day out, whether it's harassment or murder, like what happened to um, Zara Alina. And think about it, right? We are so far from that, but it can be done. Jeremy Clarkson, he's still got his show. He's still going to be presenting Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It's not reputationally expensive to promote vile, violent fantasies of misogyny that are actually about street violence. A person like him who does something like that should know that there will be immediate consequences. There will be no tolerance for it. He will lose his job and his reputation will be tarnished, not enhanced. And related to institutions and, and, and uh, attitudes to misogyny, you've got to uh, put your arms around whistleblowers. You must not close ranks around women who come forward and say this has happened to them. You've got to change the game. What's happened so far, typically, whether it's in politics, whether it's in educational institutions, whether it's in the media, is we close ranks around the women and coddle and protect the men. No, that... You change that, you do start to create the conditions where the type of violence we're talking about doesn't happen. Longer term, one last thing I said, I, I, I cheated, I said I'm having two. Um, longer term... Absolutely fine. <laughs> thank you. Um, longer term, what we need to be doing is thinking about this in terms of prevention. We need a prevention bill to be put together and it needs to encompass all the different facets of how you address this problem. From education to guidelines and regulation for um, social media companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, legislation alone is not going to cut the mustard for us. So while that reg legislation is going through, you can do things like I'd wave my wand and have a person with a feminist perspective on the school of governors, governing body of every single school, primary and secondary school. So they can advocate for um, girls. They can start to create a change while we're waiting for this bill to go through in what's normalized in schools. Legislation by itself doesn't change norms, but practice on the ground and people advocating on the ground does. We've got a, a young in here. Um, her name's Amelia. She's from Wales. She's 14 years old. She campaigned locally to push her, uh, the, the, the government in Wales, to include primary schools in the review that they did um, following uh, Everyone's Invited. A 14-year-old did that. Every single one of you could do that in your local schools. Demand that the school has a much more sophisticated approach to dealing with the harassment that we know is so rife. So in your short term, you want us to advocate for our local councils, our schools to provide more. In the short term, you also want to make it reputationally expensive for men to 
advocate violence against women or act in uh, ways that are, are harassing. Um, uh, Jeremy Clarkson being a prime example of someone who just wrote something really, really vile about Meghan Markle. And it was, the response from the public was, that's vile, but he's still going to go on and present who wants to be a millionaire. And you know that he's, he's the one that's most likely to come out of that a millionaire more than anybody. Do you have anything medium or long-term uh, that you would like to talk to us about, Tamsin and Lauren? Um, I mean, we've, we've discussing before. I think, for me, it's definitely education in schools. I uh, completely agree. I think it's also, like, sex education. I think we need to tackle pornography. Um, and uh, I, th- I think that a lot of a young generation are being, like, essentially radicalised by um, TikTok misogyny, by, you know, short clickbait videos of Andrew Tate... There's, sorry, that was a bit of a, <laughs> a, a big a, a big array of different things, but I think I'm very worried for the next generation of, of young men. It's really terrifying to see how quickly they can become radicalised, essentially to hate women and to see women as objects. I think I've got a slightly different one, but I think in the medium term, one of the things that I'd really like to see made is just the economic case for tackling sexual assault, because it is a tax and it's a tax on so many people's energy and time and you know, if people aren't going to listen to the kind of moral arguments that it just is the right thing to do because people don't seem to, it costs so much money because people are spending time dealing with these issues, spending their energy having to recover and to fix themselves. And it's just a waste. And like, if you have to do horrible capitalist object, if I've only got six weeks because that's the average tenure at the moment, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. That is the thing that you, the governments know that over a long period of time, it's uh, beneficial to society and even when you look at the bottom line, if you're looking at it from that capitalist perspective, it's better to invest. But they are worried about getting in power in the next four years so they make popular decisions. And so although they know that in 10, 20 years' time, things will be different, if they're not interested in that, they're interested in now all of the time. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello, Guilty Feminist of Dublin, calling all gay Michaels. We will be back in Dublin, but this time at the Sugar Club on the 24th of January, 7.30pm, and I will be coming over with Alison Spittle. We'll have some incredible local Dublin guests, as always. We will also be back at King's Place in London on the 26th of January. We are doing two episodes back-to-back. One is with Carrie Lloyd talking about grief and her new book. She is an absolute master at this topic, Uh, So come along because it's a wonderful, warm place to discuss that. Whether you've experienced grief, are experiencing it now, or will experience it, this will be a wonderful show. Also, we will be at Rose Theatre in Kingston on Sunday, the 29th of January. That's 5pm. It's an early show so that you can be tucked up in bed by 10 o'clock any evening with a cup of cocoa. 
To book tickets, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on live shows and you can get tickets for any of those shows. While you are at it, could you also just jump on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? You can leave a review for any episode. Um, Ideally, make it five stars, uh, rate, review, and also subscribe if you don't subscribe or follow because it helps other people find the podcasts and it reminds you that we're on. While you're there, if you could subscribe to Media Storm, which is our investigative journalist podcast, uh, it has won so many awards. It's only in its second series and it's won and been nominated for so many awards. Most recently, uh, the two hosts, Matilda Mallison and Helena Wadia, were nominated for a British Journalism Award for Best Interviewers. That's against all the journalists in the whole of the UK. So, Um, It's really worth a listen. You are going to learn about so many incredible feminist things you never knew you needed to know. Also, while you're there, could you please subscribe to Fock It Up Comedy Club, which is Kima Bob's incredible show. You are going to discover so many exciting, new, talented femmes of colour who are comedians. So please subscribe to both of those things. Uh, If you could uh, leave a review, uh, rate it, give it five stars and tell other people about it. Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of this show, please support us on Patreon. And now back to the podcast. I want to invite up um, Jamie Klingler. Jamie Klingler is the co-founder of Reclaim These Streets, and she was one of the activists that took the Met Police to court and won. Uh, Please welcome the stage, Jamie Klingler. (laughs) Jamie Klingler, thank you so much for joining us and Happy New Year. Uh, for those who don't know, you did Reclaim These Streets, which was a response to the death of Sarah Everett, the tragic homicide of Sarah Everett by a serving police officer who used his position to do it. You then tried to organise this vigil. You were stopped by the police and you ended up taking the Met Police to court. And twice. twice, because they wouldn't accept the first verdict. And they have now, it's now been demonstrated you should never have been stopped from having the vigil. Can I ask you, magic wand-wise, because you've spent a lot of time working on this stuff, do you have a short-term, a medium-term, a long-term, all or any of the above, one of the above? I have so much of it, but when we were backstage and we're talking about right now, like the energy crisis meant that my local pub was no longer open past 8 o'clock. And part of the reason Reclaim happened is they were telling us the only way we could keep ourselves alive and safe was to stay in our own homes. At what point to become agoraphobic do you never leave your house? Do you not get Ocado because mail deliveries are like 90%? Do you not take taxis? At what point are we buttoned in and not allowed to exist happily and have grown-up lives? And that's the thing. Like When you get the guys that are like, oh, but more men get stabbed, more men violence, more male violence... The common denominator is that men are committing the violence. And why are we, as you said, expected to just go with it? I uh, was filming a documentary about online hate, and we had been talking for hours. And at the end, I was like, what would it take for either of us to take our phones, take pictures of our vulvas, and send it to some strange guy? And we're like, we got hysterical because it's insane. Every time I'm on TV and say that women should not get killed, I get sent at least 15 dicks. Really? Every time. That's the response. Every time. What, exposed penises in response to you saying women shouldn't be killed? Because obviously... It's like a non sequitur, if you don't mind me saying. (laughs) That's not the wand. (laughs) 
But literally, like every time, and all I'm saying is that I want to get home and have a good life. Uh, last year in January, when Ashling Murphy was killed in Ireland, I was with a friend that's in the audience, and we went to the vigil. And a young woman that was with me was like, I'm so sick of buying flowers for women that never get them. And it still makes me cry. But my experience with this, like I ran food festivals, I ran National Burger Day, and I tweeted about a vigil and ended up in high court, and my entire life has become this. And literally, because I didn't have the political background, I was just fucking furious at what we put up with. And what we're taught that we have to put up with. And what we're taught to expect from dates. And sew something into your bra so, so you don't get this. Do this so you don't get this. Do this so that a predator doesn't get you. We avoid it all the fucking time. We spend every minute switching, uh, switching aisles in the supermarket. Going a long way around. And men, you know who it is. You know the people that are creeps. And what Rishi said is he cares about women's safety because he has daughters. If we're only worrying about your daughters, then your sons are the ones killing us. And that's what's got to stop. We've got to stop being dehumanized. We've got to have better conversations. We've got to have better education. Because what keeps happening is as soon as they're out of the family home, well, not even out of their family home, as soon as we become the, the objects for them to fuck, we are no longer worth conversations. We're no longer worth the kindness that they show to their sisters, mothers, grandmothers, anyone else. And the only thing, I can't say how many lives we've changed. What we have changed is the sexual assault stories that used to only take place at 2 a.m. are now happening with our partners, with our dads, with our brothers. And a lot of them are happening at dining room tables. And that's the part where actually them seeing us as what we victimize. Um, there was an article in The Guardian about getting flashed. Had they done anything about Wayne Cousins, who was being nicknamed the fucking rapist, mm -hmm. had they done something when he was flashing people? He flashed people for 10 years. If your colleagues are calling you the rapist and you keep a batch, and then the whole PR thing from the Met was like, oh, former serving police officer. Well, former serving police officer had another man in his unit that is now done for what? He's on trial for 38 rapes? And he wasn't former when he, he, was, oh, wasn't no. former when he did it. But he's they, only, but they he's got, only former because he's in jail now. No, but they got some police costumes taken off of Amazon because of Wayne Cousins. Wow. That was their response, telling us to That's run for point. buses. Well, That's the point about making it reputationally expensive. Yeah. Clearly, it was not reputationally expensive to have and communicate and express those attitudes within that unit in the Met Police, but in the broader institution, which is reflective of society. My so, friend got uh, just had, she was on the news talking about something um, that uh, a man in the who was viewing the news didn't like, and uh, he sent her the most horrible message I'd ever seen, DM'd her, the most horrible message I'd ever seen, which included fantasizing about killing her. She took it to the police and the female police officer immediately said, oh my God, yes, yes, I will do something. Because he, he was clear about who he was. It wasn't, it wasn't anonymous. And then uh, this male police officer called her and said, oh, it seems like you've had some comments you don't like. And she said, this is like literally last week. She said, oh, they're not comments I don't like. And he said, well, what you were saying on the news, in other words, her politics, he said, 
You've got to understand a lot of people agree with his opinions. She said, agree that I should be killed. And he went, oh, no, no, but, you know. Not that so far. he said, I won't, we won't be taking it any further, and they know where he is. And I said, but what if he's got women buried in his garden? Like, what if he's got stuff on his laptop? Like, we, you know, they need to go around there. And that police officer's name was Wayne. And I said, I would be saying to him, if I were a police officer called Wayne, mm-hmm. I, and I heard anything that sounded even vaguely misogynistic, I would be, I, you know, we know what goes on in those WhatsApp groups. So, uh, really It's also about who you belong to. Mm. So... I had a fake OnlyFans account done of me and close-up videos of vulvas so I couldn't say whether or not the woman in them had consented. And when it got press is because it was sent to my father. It didn't get press when it was just me being violated. It got tons of press and made American press when it was fake porn of me Mm. being sent to my dad because I am still his. Mm. And that's part of it. The police this is closed it. that case. This is it. This is, this is the fundamental point. Violence against women in all its forms, whether it's on the street, whether it's in the home, is a cause and consequence of women's inequality, of our lower, secondary, second-class status in society. So to address it, you've got to have a holistic approach. You're, and, you know, that's what our entire manifesto is in the Women's Equality Party, and it should be in everybody else's manifesto. We shouldn't be an outlier. And can I say, on, uh, before we go any further... Um, I had something in my recent stand-up show, which I'm going to be doing again, which uh, was about uh, not all men. It is a minority of men. It's definitely not all men, but here's the thing. And somebody who specifically works for the government in this department is a civil servant, doesn't work for the Tories, um, came afterwards to me in the bar and said, you are exactly right about this. This is my specific area of expertise, and you were right about it. Um, Men who are violent against women truly believe that all men are violent against women or if they're not, they're not man enough to do it, in inverted commas. That's what they believe. So here's the thing. When there are jokes on stage that are like, sort of like it's an edgy joke and the audience laugh, mostly out of shock or discomfort, or, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. The man in the room, there might be one man in that room who's violent against women, but what they hear is an endorsement. I'm right. All men find this funny. When there's a joke at the pub, you know, something sounds violently sexualizing, you know, that I'd ruin her or something like that. When there's that joke at the pub and the other men don't say anything, they laugh along. Or they just, they don't even laugh. They just don't say anything. That's that guy thinking, yeah, I'm right. Or the guy next to him, maybe he's just boasting and bragging and showing off, but the guy at the next table hears it. Yeah, I'm right. So we know it's not all men. 100% of the men I've been alone with have not killed me. We know it's not all men. Men, it's not us you have to tell. Tell them it's not all men. Tell the violent guys, and you don't know who they are. You think, oh, my mate Jackie's lovely, blah, 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 blah. You don't know. So every time they it do happens, know. sometimes they know, but I don't want to, you to think if you don't think Jack would do that, then he wouldn't. Sometimes you suspect and sometimes you don't. But unless you step on it every single time, you build a world in which the minority of men who do these things do them more, do them earlier, do them worse, and do them again. Not all men. We need to tell those men. It's not all men. It's not, it's not masculine. It's not, it's not of man. It's not the way men are. It's not. It's abhorrent, and it is rare. It's, it's, there's a minority of men doing this, and, and, the, and I don't mean, I don't even say, they're not the good guys, just 
the guys. Just, you know, it's a, it's a very low bar when we call the good guys the guys that aren't hurting women. But if you are a guy in this room, if you're a man in this room, presumably you've come here tonight because you want equality, because you're not here otherwise. Or if you think, I didn't, I was coming to this, and a woman's brought you, there's a reason. <laughs> um, but it's if you... also a win-win thing. Yeah. Like, if women are safe, we're more confident. We're happier in our consensual relationships. We are able to run in the mornings. We are able to exert our confidence and our creativity and all these things. We are better partners. We're better mm-hmm. mothers. We're better sisters. But... And we're supported by you. Like, it's not like if violence against women goes down, then all of a sudden violence against pets go up. But it's not, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. It means we have better sex. It means that we're not scared we're getting raped on first dates. That's an awful premise to go on a first date. Like, oh, I've sewn something into my bra in case I need to get tracked. Like, but I don't know one woman who goes on a date on the internet without telling other women, this is where I'll be, this is who he is. We say to each other, hope I don't get killed tonight, never met this guy before, and the other, like, have a good time, I hope he's, he looks really cute. Like, that's our response to each other. You, I mean, he looks great. I mean, we got to, you got to go out, like, you got to go and date. Like, you can't just not date because you don't want to get hurt. But the, but the, the, you know, logging it with three people, and this is a picture, and I found him on LinkedIn. Women have sent me, this is him on LinkedIn. So, I found him. Because he's an engineer, his name's Max, and, it, and I found the same picture on LinkedIn. So this is this is definitely him. So if I don't come home, call his boss. What? Like you know? And I'm like, yeah, sure, have a good time. Because what else can we do? So I think we need to throw it open to the floor and that doesn't stop us responding. Who would like, who feels they've got something to say? Either they want to use the magic wand or they want to respond to something we've said. You might want to disagree. You might want to reinforce. You might have an idea that you've never been able to get off your chest. Um, Would anyone like to come up and talk? Hi, what's your name? Hello, I'm Georgia. Hi, Georgia. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you. And nice to see you all. Um, I wanted to sort of respond to something you said at the beginning, because you talked about, I guess, um, organizations coming together and, you know, the other isms, the other phobias, and how we can use us all as a collective, us minorities or minoritized groups, um, to help this cause. And what I was thinking about when you were saying that is how queerness particularly sort of non-heteronormativity can really, really help with this fight. Because when you look at gender and when you look at orientation and you say, hey, actually, it's not a binary. There's not this one version of man, this masculinity that must be fulfilled by oppressing someone else or exerting power over someone else. When you say that doesn't actually exist, that's a construct, this whole gender thing, it's something we made up. So you know what? You can make it up for yourself. You can say, oh, I like this bit about being a woman. But hey, that story about womanhood that I've been told my whole life, that doesn't fit me. And men can do the same. And I think when we take queer people who are actively expressing those things about gender and how some things work and some things don't for individuals, we empower everybody to look at themselves and to look at stories they've been telling themselves about their own gender and what it means to be masculine or what it means to be a man or feminine. 
we can change internal narratives and external narratives. So are you saying that the blurring of the binary that's happening at the moment where people are just saying, look, I don't fit in either of these teams or what you see me as isn't what I feel, you're saying that's a step forward in as much as it allows everyone in society to question, do I fit here? Yes, exactly. And I think particularly with men um, or people born male, sometimes the violence they enact is a reflection of a violence they do to themselves by trying to suppress bits of themselves that they've decided are wrong. And they sort of double down on the opposite, on the misogyny to yes, overcome. I, oh, sorry. No, no, go, go ahead. Um, yes, I sometimes express this as if we won't get into two orderly teams, how will they know who to oppress? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Perfect. research. Well, thank you very much. Big round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah. Um, Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. I have one very fictional wish, which I don't, which would never happen. Which I think, if you made sex internal for both for all genders, I think some of the, I think the externalization for you know a typical male and internalization with a typical female has a lot of aspects to uh, answer for. But anyway, um, what I, I have a legal background, and so my thoughts are, I think there's kind of a couple of aspects which are. As you were saying, I think our political system, being short-termist, doesn't help. So if we could make that be long-termist, I think that would be ideal. But talking about laws, you know, more laws for protection, they're kind of fruitless if they're not enforced. And that's my issue with it. So we've now got the new cat-calling law. You know, you had the law to do with upskirting, all of that stuff. It's not being enforced. You know, such a small portion of reported rapes ever lead to a prosecution. I think we really need to assess... There has to be some accountability for government and the police force for things not being enforced. Absolutely. But also, why are we forcing very particular issues into an outdated legal system? So I don't know if anybody saw Prima Facie in the West End. I thought that was fascinating. And actually the logic behind that, that, that is the wrong way to kind of assess some of these things. They shouldn't be prosecuted with the probability or beyond reasonable doubt. There has to be different ways to address all of this. So that would be kind of something I yeah, would ideally that's like an to interesting, see. It's an interesting reframing of assumptions we make in our society about it's always been done this way, so it's always got to be done this way. But actually questioning, does it? I think that's a great point. Thank you very but much. I think, I think legislation gets you only so far, though, doesn't it? And um, how many people know what's on the statute books about all the different things that are on the statute books? By itself, it doesn't change norms. If you, if you think about, I don't know, back in the... 70s or 60s when it was just very normal to go to the pub have four pints drive home um, not wear a seatbelt when you drive home the laws changed around that but that was accompanied by a really full-on holistic approach to changing what the norms are to making it so that actually it's gonna be frowned upon Deborah if you get in the car after four pints and don't put your seatbelt on whereas prior to that you change the law but if that's all you do Everybody just carries on as normal. So this is about a whole cultural and systems change approach, but it's expensive, it takes commitment. So the political short-termism that we've got is a huge impediment. But it also gives them something to write about. So this whole idea that somebody's going to get arrested for staring at me on the tube when they actually don't give a shit if I get raped, 
Like we're at 1.7% of prosecution rates. No, like GMB asked me to come on about the staring on the tube thing. And I was like, I'm not wasting my fucking breath. I want you to actually do things that make me safer. And in the year after Sarah was killed, watershed moment, watershed moment, absolutely nothing was demonstrably done. Both the government and the mayor's office came out with two campaigns and videos the week that she was killed a year later. That's all that happened. None of the mayoral candidates came to the one and only hustings on ending violence against women and girls during that mayoral campaign. I was a candidate. I was there. But none of the others showed up. So it shows you they don't actually feel the pressure. Yeah, it's it's literally everything that gets said is like women's safety is a PR issue and they want it off the headlines, but they don't do anything to actually make anything any better. So we need pressure so that it is, as you say, reputationally expensive for politicians not to address this. Is that but but let's also show them that there is support for these things. Mm-hmm. But that's like the 888 thing. So you want me to call 888 because 999 doesn't work. By the time I'm dialing 888... I'm dead. And this is the thing, like the real world consequences of the decisions to not make misogyny a hate crime and not have it as a mitigating factor. They decided, as Boris said, it would it would take too much. It would overrun the police. Okay, so if murder overrun the police, then we just legalize it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we are literally talking about murder. This is literally what we're talking about. It's like, ah, oh, the, the police are busy. Are they? I don't want it with all the WhatsApp groups they have to keep up with, with all the racist jokes they have to put in the WhatsApp groups. I guess I see, you know, they don't have all that much time to be taking our complaints, our death threats seriously, apparently. So today um, I got a call about a Bournemouth police officer, senior police officer of 25 years. He um, was found guilty of gross misconduct for having three, which is really three simultaneous affairs with um, trainee women in the office, which how do you have that much time? How do you have the time? Well, I suppose they have the time because they're not dealing with any of the murders, but... So he was allowed to retire on full pension. What? He was granted anonymity forever because of his welfare. And now he's teaching management and coaching... And he's literally running management and coaching sessions on how to be an excellent manager. Wow. And, well, he's gr- and they know, like the people calling me today know his name and he, is, he can do any of this and doesn't have, to, doesn't have to pay the piper, doesn't have any consequences. I mean, he's, it's a wonder he's not hosting him. I wish I'd be in it. Because I'd be announcing um, it right now. Yeah. Could, can we give him his own game show? Um, yeah. uh, dial 999, see if anyone answers. Um, it, uh, has anybody else got anything else that they'd like to say from the floor? Um, uh, what's your name? I'm Yasmin. Hi, Yasmin. I'm a huge fan. Um, I have a really simple request with the feminist magic wand. I'm yes. a script writer, and I would love to see more content where we have people vocalizing consent. Because rape fantasies are very real, and I'm really tired of seeing content on TV that shows bursts of lust where people suddenly come into one another. I don't find that sexy. My boyfriend's in the audience. He's wonderful. And I find nothing hotter than when he says, do you like this? Are you feeling good? Can I do this? We... 
we are not currently, we're not currently teaching young women how to say yes or how to say no. And we go from this tiny little bit over here, which is like, not, did I like that? Do I want to try more of that? Do I want to feel good about that? To will a court of law believe me? Will anyone believe me? And the whole middle place, which is where we all find our, find our king, find what we enjoy, find what we like, and embrace it, we're just missing all of that. And these RSE curriculum things, they changed it to talk about consent, but there's nothing about ongoing consent. There's nothing about how do I feel with my boundaries with this one person? It's like you can touch every woman on her wrist twice. And that's where the real work comes in. And that's where the pain and the hardship of figuring out how, because it's complicated. Because all of us have different ideas of what we like and how we want to talk about it and how we want that to happen. But we're not anywhere near doing that work when we're just like, is the jury going to believe me? And we do that to ourselves in our own heads. I was in a bathroom a couple of weeks ago and it was dodgy getting up the steps. And I was like, oh my God, if something happens to me here, oh my God, can you imagine those headlines? And oh my God. And you get in your own head that we, we are taking responsibility for it all the time, even when we're absolutely nothing to do with us. If someone wants to hurt us, they're going to hurt us. And, and that's the like resigned bit that I'm struggling with literally known for doing a vigil. And at this point, if I die, I want to fucking riot. I'm done with vigils. And, and, and that's a huge change. Like, I literally was on TV for two years talking about do a vigil, do a vigil. And now, fuck that, I'm done. And exhausted. Um, no, no, no. I, I feel your passion. I feel your passion. And I do think what you're saying is important. That So what's your name? Yasmin. Yasmin, Yasmin, sorry. I need to hear names six times. Yasmin, mm-hmm. Yasmin, Yasmin, Yasmin Okay, um, I do my mnemonics. Um, Yasmin, I, Yasmin, I do think what you're saying is very important. We underestimate the impact of story all the time. I think Hollywood has a fuckload of responsibility in who it's shown, who's, whose eyes we've looked through for all these years, and the expectations of... Well, I was talking about this to a friend the other day and saying when I was at university, I went to university between 97 and 2000, it was seen as, and, and I, I really hope, I, this is content warning here, I, it was seen as unchivalrous, ungentlemanly, bad form for a man to have intercourse with a woman who was unconscious when I was, it was 97, it was, it was 100% seen as, it was 100% seen as just, just bad form, like that's not, bad manners. That's, it's not on, rather than, no one would go to the police no one, we wouldn't have got, we would have thought, well, I passed out. And that's, that has shifted. And this is why I think I do have Has-a-bell. hope. I think I do have hope because it, when I go to universities now, young women and young men and young non-binary people are talking all the time politically. There was no talk of feminism in my JCR at all. Like we, in fact, I remember raising it because I was not long out of a cult and I was desperate to be a feminist. And other women said to me, that's boring. Um, young women would say, that's boring. Uh, you're going to look like you're asking for special favours. And I think part of that has been stories very, 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 very slowly shifting. What I don't like is when I see the opposite of what Yasmin's talking about. So in the last, uh, you, you know the Sex and City revival, just, and, and, uh, just like that, uh, which I did do deconstructive episodes of. <laughs> Riley, I think it was a heavy hand of irony. There's a scene in which he, uh, her new, the new guy that she's sort of not really seeing, she's just sort of being sad near, um, <laughs> says, can, he walks home and he says, can I kiss you? 
And she says yes. And then she complains about it. She says to one of her friends, oh, since when is there this contract for a kiss, you know? And then uh, we cut to her in a a lift, you know, later with a man that she really fancies. And he just basically bangs her up against a wall. And Grace Petrie and I talked about this on the podcast and said, this evokes big pushing up against a wall in a, in a lift, an elevator if you're listening internationally, um, when she was saying no, no, no. And we were like, uh, like... And Grace Petrie said what I thought was a great line. She said, if, if you don't think asking is sexy, work on your delivery. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think this issue of consent is a really good example that highlights how you have to approach this stuff in a, in a holistic way. You know, one of our policies is to campaign for a change in the law around an affer- towards an affirmative consent law. So that just sort of shifts how um, rape is defined and examined in the court of law. So you're actually having to prove if she said yes, not just if she said no and kicked and scratched and, and tried to um, defend herself. But it isn't, as I've already said, it isn't enough to just go for legislative strategies and tactics representation, that's the point you made, is really important. What images are normalized and shown to kids, young adults, older adults like me, um, um, as well as conversations not only in the courtroom but in the classroom. So I think consent's a really interesting one because you can weave what needs to be done with consent through all these different channels that demonstrate why you've got to have a holistic approach that changes the framing of these conversations and actually equips us to see the world in a way that uh, means we stand a chance, men and women, of relating to each other that transcends um, the inequality and the hierarchies that cause all of the friction and tension and, and, and horrific things that we've been talking about today. Well, as Mandu talked about earlier about the systemic nature of it and how those, those institutions treat you. As a white middle-class woman from America, the last thing I ever expected was how the Met would treat us. Like, Cressida Dick went to the Home Affairs Committee and called us naive young women that meant well. Let alone... How's, if her, I, how's her career going? Uh, oh, that was my favorite night. Oh, that was fun. She told me to run for a bus. Ooh. Don't tell a Philly girl to shut up because she'll take you out. Um... <laughs> Uh, no, no, oh, no, no, all good. Does anyone else, we're running out of time, so does anyone else want to say anything? Yasmin, big round applause for Yasmin. Thank you, Yasmin. Sarah. Does anyone else want to say anything, either something that they think we've left out or something that they think, oh, maybe that because of coming to this show tonight, uh, this town hall tonight, that you might do differently? Because I do want these to be practical. I do want us... We'll all go away and we'll filter it. You know, we'll, I will percolate for a week or so. But I do hope stuff comes out of this. And if you do anything or you change anything or you have any conversations outside of this, please feed back so that we can share it. Because I do want things to move on because of the town halls. I want them to start with conversation, but I don't want them to end there. Um, so does anyone else want to say anything? What's your name? Melissa. Melissa. Big round of applause for Melissa. Sorry, I just had to say Melissa McCarthy. That's how I do my mnemonics. Otherwise, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm going for the extra step so I can reach up to the microphone. Excellent. Um, so um, I just wanted to say for the first guest that you had on that not on keeping of Femme Safety, but that app is a great idea as great. someone who um, 
someone who regularly falls asleep in toilets. Um, I think it's very helpful. It's called Where You At, Not Where You Shat. <laughs> but wouldn't that be a great rebrand? I mean, <laughs> there, could there be a spin-off, Yasmin, uh, uh, Lauren and Tamsin? Yasmin would like a spin-off. Okay. So it's nothing particularly groundbreaking. Melissa, fuck. Let's hear it, Melissa. God damn it. I'm always one behind. I do think it's a neurological condition. I have to go and get tested. I have named named a sex here. Sorry, I'll say that again. Melissa would like a spin-off. Could you laugh for the podcast because... (laughs) Not that loudly. Now it's going to sound sarcastic. We want a medium-sized chuckle. Okay. Melissa would like a spin-off. Strong work. (laughs) Sorry, Melissa. Sorry. So it's nothing particularly groundbreaking, but um, I would just like to say that, so I am married to a man who is lovely and was raised by a very feminist mum. And I don't think that he would particularly describe himself as a feminist. I mean, he does, but he, I think it's kind of one of those things that like everyone here would describe themselves that way. And like, you know, I think sometimes we, we think we can bore um, people that we're talking to with our ideals of different things, but dating someone who was brought up in that way made a big difference reason why I married him like so I think it's kind of one of those things that like you can see that like as a young man that was brought up that way made a big difference so it was more like nothing groundbreaking just reinforcing the norm I think it's a, a really good point Melissa that how people are raised it doesn't always work out but you were saying Mandu backstage there's a lot of evidence that it comes from and you were saying this too Jamie that there's a lot of evidence that people who men who are brought up in violent households where violence was the norm can turn out to be very anti-violence because that was their ex- their experience, can turn out to be somebody who just, you know, leaves that behind entirely or advocates against it, but or they can turn out to be somebody who continues that on. And there's a lot of evidence uh, for that. So we need to be addressing violence in the home and we need to be funding that and all our funding's being withdrawn. Apparently Rishi Sunak's suddenly saying we all have to do maths to 18, but we're not teaching young people who may be from violent homes to unlearn that. That's the most important thing we could possibly be doing. Every woman that's been killed in the public in the UK, every single one in the last 10 years, their partners have been abused. And, and we know... What, every one, woman that's been killed by a partner? No, every woman that's been killed in public. Oh. So Wayne Cousins' wife was abused. Uh, oh, I so see. So all of those people have been abused, but when we don't listen and we don't support and we don't care about violence in your home violence begets violence and when we ignore those women and we ignore the children from those marriages we we keep repeating these cycles and it's exhausting but like every school shooter in america every big thing that happens the women in their homes were abused by them and we know that. It's Mandy was talking about the statistics. We know that. And that's not to say if you're a survivor of abuse, you're violent. No. And I want you to hear this. You know, many, 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 many people who are victims of violence themselves are not violent. And uh, many people are anti-violent. Many men are anti-violent because they were the victims of violence. Um, but there is a correlation. And if you're a certain kind of person and that, and, and in certain kind of circumstances, you don't have another kind of support network, all sorts of things can factor in. Uh, but I think it's a really, really great point. Yeah, Melissa's talking about the positive role model. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was really worried that you misheard me. No, 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 no. sorry, sorry, I sorry. Heard you. No, no, I heard just you. saying it's important. Like, yeah. if you raise feminist sons, that you know, they're, they're nice yeah. to date. We're I did like that you said we can't bore people into becoming feminists. I disagree. I'd I try. I, 
I had a taxi driver on the way here. He, I, I got on the cab and he said, um, and I said, so the theatre. He said, oh, what's, what's, uh, what's the show on there tonight? And I said, it's called The Guilty Feminist. And he went, I won't ask what that's about. And I went, oh, it's about feminism. And he went, and, uh, and I said, would you call yourself a feminist? He said, oh, no. And then I tried to convince him that he was. And... Because I said, well, do you believe in equality for the genders? Because if so, I would suggest that you are a feminist. And he went, well, the world's unfair, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and I was like, mm, well, it doesn't have to be, though. And I pointed out that he wouldn't have a weekend unless someone had campaigned for that, that it wouldn't be equal marriage unless someone had campaigned for that. Did you, did you take him to the dark side? Did I take him to the what? Dark side, like oh, feminism. I see. I think by the time he, he, like, at one point he started driving rather recklessly. And I, he did. And I was like, oh, is he really desperate to get me there now? Because, and I thought, well, he's opened the can of worms. He asked, he started asking the question. I nearly went back because I was writing, I got a cab because I was writing my notes. And I was, and I thought, I should really be writing my notes. And I was like, no, I shouldn't. If there's an opportunity to talk to, talk about feminism to someone who thinks there's no hope for change and someone who doesn't identify as a feminist, then I need to talk to him. And I talked to him about, um, because he was black and I was white, I said, look, you know, there are all sorts of inequalities, privileges that I have that you don't have, and I should be fighting for that as much as you should be fighting for gender. And he's going, oh, yeah, no, that's a good point, that's a good point. And I think trying to meet people somewhere on a bridge, you know, I always think you can build the whole bridge, it doesn't matter who builds the bridge, then anyone can walk over it. And most of the time when I build a bridge, I find men will just be happy to put one or two feet on it. And then they might back off a bit. But ah, that's fine. That's still change. Maybe the next person they meet gets them to take another step and so on and so on. But I just think, I worry that we're in a point where if someone doesn't completely align with all of our values, we call them a fascist and we block them. And I fear that because I think we need to be working together. I'm going to give a really shocking... Hold on, there was a round of applause there for me, Jamie, and you nearly tripped over it. Because don't... Don't, don't talk over my applause break. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm going to give a really shocking shout out. Andrew Castle on LBC has had me on almost more than anyone. And he has been so supportive and so up for the conversation. And my whole thing is I can talk to this audience really easily. But if I get conservative men over the line then I'm changing the barometer a little bit. Mm, And that's the audiences where I can actually have those discussions change. Mm -hmm. None of you guys are going to go out and be like, oh, now I'm a feminist. You're like, you're already in my part. Yeah. When I go on, when I go on the radio in like national or in other parts of the country, I almost invariably talk about what's, um, when immediately the radio, whoever's interviewing me about the guilty feminists will go, feminism, a lot of people don't like feminists, feminism, uh, defend yourself, you know. And I usually start talking about ways in which the world is unfair to men because I think if men are listening, they'll be surprised by that and they might... I'm sure I've never had a complaint from women. I sometimes think, are women going to complain? Like, you had this platform and you talked about me. But I think I can't just be preaching to the choir all the time. I have to be saying, well, hold on, let's look at... You know, who goes to war? And, you know, I mean, admittedly, who starts those wars? Men. <laughs> but unless we, unless we start with that conversation about, you know, I often say white women are the least criminalised people in the whole world because if I'm with a white man and I have some drugs on me going through the airport accidentally, not that that's happened. <laughs> um, you said accidentally. Yeah. I said accidentally. I said accident, okay. 
Um, and I go, oh God, you know, it, 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 uh, I must, this is my friend's jacket or whatever. I am much more likely to just have them taken off me and go through than a man. Um, certainly, certainly much more than a black man or a brown man, certainly much more than a black or brown woman. And so looking at that and saying that's an inequality that it's my responsibility to fight, but it is men's responsibility to, when they hear these jokes in the pub or the way men are talking about specific women, to say, dude, that's not cool. Because if I say it, I'm already the other in that situation. So I won't be listened to. I'll be mocked. I'll be, I'm already not credible in that conversation. So where do we have credibility? It's always coming back to Renieta Lodge. Where do you hold power? And so I, I hope you've heard something tonight that really rings a bell with you about where you hold power. Hopefully people will go away and try and do different things. Uh, contact MPs, schools, uh, have conversations with friends. I don't know where you hold power, but wherever you hold power, try and take this conversation out into the wider world. Um, before we go, I should have a big round of applause for Melissa. Thank you, Melissa. Um, before we go, Lauren and Tamsin, can I just ask you, um, where you at with where you at? Um, where, how soon might, might we be able to get that app? Because I think that app's just very useful, you know, taking safety out of it just for convenience. Is there, there's an app developer sitting in the front row, but you might not need that. You may already be your app developers yourself. You don't need a man to help you. I'm so sorry. I even suggested it. Would you like a man to help you with that? That's what I'm asking. Um, where we're at, we're in trials right now. Um, we're actually launching in Nottingham, which is our kind of key student city. Um, we're working with Nottingham Trent Student Union and several venues in Nottingham to get that pilot off the ground. Um, it's live, it's downloadable there. Um, and we're also working with a number of venues in London, XOYO. Um, obviously, it was their, their, uh, the general manager of the chain is a woman who was like, this sounds like a great idea. So XOYO is our kind of key venue in London, as well as E1. Um, we're also in Tiger Tiger, and we're trying to get into as many venues as possible. And is there the anything trial. you need? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, if anyone's listening and has any bright, bright ideas, where you at dot world is the place to find or get in touch and reach out to us. Where you at dot world, okay? And they can connect, connect with you there. Do you need money? <laughs> yeah. Always. Always. Okay. So if any investors are listening and they think they'd like to invest in it, uh, they can go to where you at dot world. Um, and if you do, you, do you seriously need any more app developers or anybody like that? Yes, 100%. Oh, it's, do you? It's, yeah. What was your, what's your name? I don't think I asked your name. What's your name? What's your name? George. 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 And I don't want to assume your gender, but are you in fact a man? Okay, so George, here's, they need help with that. So, and that's a great piece of feminism, isn't it? I'm actually putting it into his phone now. He's putting it into his phone now. Where are you at, world? Excellent. Um, and what's your name? Dave. Dave, you make films. You could, you could, you could make a little doc about where you're at. You make commercials, but yeah, this is... Oh, in fact, you could make a little commercial for it. You make an online commercial for it. Excellent. Are you, are you, are you together? Yeah, okay. All right. So as a team there, you could... Yeah. So, okay. So you could make a little team there. So do you guys want to talk afterwards? Yeah, that'd be great. In the, have a little chat in the bar. Um, and is there anything anyone else feels they can do or uh, anything anyone else wants to say? Speak now forever, hold your peace. Otherwise, just email guiltyfeminist at gmail.com. 
Um, and tell us, share your ideas, your results, anything that you've done, any conversations that you had, even if it's just like, oh, do you know what? I talked to my dad this weekend and I think I had a breakthrough. It'd be, I think, really great to be able to put out those things that have come out of the town halls. If you've got any suggestions for ideas of other town halls that you'd like to have, people you'd like to see, additions to the format, um, I did think we should probably have someone on a big whiteboard at the back um, writing down all the ideas and collating them and so that we have sort of notes, show notes uh, at the end to take away. Um, but we can do that because this is a podcast. We've recorded it all. So we can ask someone to do that after the fact. But is there any ideas you've got for us? This is a real trial. This is, thank you for coming to our very, very first town hall. Um, have you enjoyed it? Um, we thought we might do some in actual... Shoreditch Town Hall is now a venue. So we thought we might do some in a, an actual town hall um, where there's facilities to do that. And maybe we could do one in co-pro with the WEP. Let's do it. Great. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you so much. Can I have a big round of applause uh, for Lauren and Tamsin from where you're at? (laughs) Big round of applause for Jamie Klingler from Reclaim These Streets. And Mandu Reid from the Women's Equality Party. Thank you so much to Soho Theatre. I've been Deborah Francis White. We've been the Guilty Feminists. Good night. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guests, Lauren Levine, Tamsin Lent, Jamie Klingler, and Mandu Reed. The recording engineer was Grundy Lazimbra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zalitsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina Dicio, Zainab Muhammad, and everyone at Soho Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. So I was looking that way, and then you came out... This is... I mean, this is... This is it's very good, because it's keeping me on my toes. Yes, let me hand you one. There you go. Very eager... Listen, I like women who come up here and demand a mic. Um, imagine if you sat there all night going, I didn't feel I could ask for the mic. <laughs> it's a very loud like, voice. Yeah, but it won't, it won't sell to the podcasters at home, the, the listeners at home. They'll only hear because that, that, it records through here, so you've you got to okay. use it. Bear that in mind. She is joined by two of the brains behind The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com